This is The Pool. I'm Rain Coleman, your host, and this is episode 23. Alright y'all, what's up? We back again, back again with another. Yeah, we in here for episode 23. Thank you guys for joining me again another week. I am your host, Rain Coleman. This is The Pool. Make sure to hit me up on those Twitters, Carefree Blurred. Use that hashtag, ThePoolCBN or CBNPod. Either one works. Both will get to me. Uh, all other social medias, Carefree Black Nerd. And, uh, yeah, take a look around. <laughs> so, again, thank you guys for coming back. Um, a lot of stuff going on in comics this week, last week, the upcoming week. The summer seems to be off to a very jam-packed start. Uh, before diving into headlines, I do want to give a quick little shout out to BYNK Radio Fam, a government name podcast, Cole Jackson and Real Shogun Beats. If you're new here, you may not know those names. If you're not, you will know them from Black Lightning Matters podcast, which will be with Cole Jackson and Titans Hunt podcast, which is with none other than Shogun. And uh, check out uh, Sid Davis, the social introvert as well over there at BYNKRadio.net. Uh, a lot of stuff going on over there. Things are changing, shaking shit up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so check them out. Uh, also, shouts out to uh, all other podcasters, creators, creatives, vloggers, uh, accountants, babysitters, hairdressers, all that good shit. Well, we love you all over here. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, we're going to um, dive right in. Well, actually, before that, uh, I'm thinking... The Carefree Black Nerd official Avengers Endgame discussion part two with Esco Blade should be, have already aired <laughs> this past Sunday. I know you guys enjoyed that. Make sure you're going on over to Apple Podcasts. Give me that review. Rate them five stars. Let me know what you thought about that discussion or any other show on the Carefree Black Nerd feed uh, and all of your other respective podcast platforms. Check it out on there. Um, and then upcoming it's some stuff. Uh, we got some 4,400 coming back. Coming back, y'all. Coming back, y'all. <laughs> okay, so diving right into some news, y'all. <laughs> A little something, something. First, uh, in our lead story tonight, in July, Hickman returns with his sights set on Marvel's mutants. All right, y'all. So Marvel has teased that Hickman, Jonathan Hickman, uh, X-Men's, uh, biggest milestone for the franchise since Grant Morrison's new X-Men. That was back in the early 2000s. So we're getting Hickman on the X-Books, which is a very big deal. Um, I'm torn. I have thoughts. Well, let me let me continue. I'll, I'll give my thoughts. So um, Hickman's return begins with House of X and Powers of X. These are two six-issue miniseries that I think... And forgive me for not knowing for sure, but I'm thinking that those are two miniseries that will feed into the ongoing X-Men universe. So, though they're technically miniseries, it's kind of like the prequel to what we're going to get as official X-Men lore going forward for the next couple years, I imagine. Now, Hickman taking over the X-Men line, he, <coughs> excuse me, it's been... On, it's been on the, on the blogs all week, you know what I'm saying? No, uh, <laughs> he has discussed that he really fought for Marvel to cancel the X-Line as it is now. <clears throat> now, my initial reaction was like glee, joy, like, all right, we about to get some shit. But then I kind of took a step back and and looked at the information that we provided with. 
which is though he is doing something streamlined with the X-Men, which is something that they really need, you're also taking away jobs from other people. Like if, if what is being reported is true is that he fought to have these books canceled, that's creators, that's writers, that's illustrators, that's li linkers, inkers, and who are without job. Now, that's not, I mean, I don't know if there's something else lined up, but I'm sure there are some people where this was how they were making their money. Um, and it's not always easy for everyone to bounce back and just get a job in whatever industry you're in. So my, my hope is that in the fallout or aftermath of this uh, line-wide consolidation that these people are able to, you know, move on to brighter pastures or even stay on or whatever. Um, and forgive me for not having this verbatim, but the, the, the comment was, I want to streamline the X-Men for the readers who are coming in. Um, if we're going to have this one vision, it needs to be a one vision. So all of the different stories that are being told now, all fine and good, but we need to tell the real story, quote unquote. Now with that, I'm of two minds. Now on the one hand, like I said, folks are out of a job and their stories are essentially being said to not matter or not be the default or not be important, which I have my issues with X-Men. I have forever in the day. I've mentioned it countless times on this podcast, but there are still people behind these books that no matter how much you may not like what's going on, they still pump out this content and you're not going to like every single thing. But then on the other hand, it has been a pain in the ass for me and other people, you know, who, reading these X books. And it's not even necessarily the creative teams and what the people are doing in the books. It's more or less like a Marvel thing. Like you get 12 issues, 12 good solid issues or something, and then you reboot it. There's always a reboot or a relaunch coming. And it's frustrating because like, how do you read comics? And, you know, back in, the, back in my day, we used to have two issue arcs. But everything seems to be geared towards the trade paperback, which really wouldn't even be an issue if it was executed differently. But we know as comic book consumers that more than likely this is where this is headed. This story will have a five or six issue arc, and that's just so it could come out in trade. And so that, you know, it can make money on trades. But if... I've been frustrated. I think Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and Squirrel Girl, to my knowledge, in this moment, because I'm, I'm a bit out of it, <laughs> are the only two books that have consistently came out at Marvel and are in double digits. It's, I'm tired of a reboot. And then for someone who's like, okay, so Stan Lee said once before, every comic is someone's first comic. And I don't feel like that is the name of the game anymore because we are writing books for trade format. But with the X-Men specifically, you are constantly rebooting and redoing so many things. There's so many moving parts where as a new reader or a seasoned reader, if someone, say, collects an issue every month and you work-life balance gets in the way, you're not able to get to those books until four or five months later. Well, when I sit down and read through these few books... And I'm excited. I'm like, okay, now I'm caught up. I can get the next just to find out that, oh, this is rebooted and relaunched into something else. And so going back, trying to figure out the timeline, not even in story timeline, but just publication timeline of what book goes where, it's a little frustrating. So for me, like I said, on one hand, folks can be out of a job and that's never good. But then on the other hand, this collection of stories and people 
should be streamlined. Like, there should be a direct narrative when it comes to X-Men. Well, comics in general, I feel like, you know, but specifically X-Men, because you have these stories, and you have all these moving parts on all these different players, but then you'll have Wolverine in 12 books. You'll have now that Captain Marvel's pop, uh, pop more popular in the, the general public, she'll be in 13 different books. You know, and it's, I don't know. I mean, but I ho- I, I'm hoping that I don't sound like some crotchety old man who's like, stay off my lawn back in my day, this and that, because it's not my intent. But I can see the good that would come from scaling this these books down to two and kind of slowly rolling out a vision. Because look at the MCU. Look what Feige has done with a handful of characters, and it's built on and built on and built on. And even though everyone has their own movie, it's all going it's one narrative and you can watch them out of order you can watch them you know just you love your spider-mans you love your black panthers you love your guardians you can watch just that and enjoy those but they all feed into this larger picture and when it comes to x-men i just feel like that's how it should be you know you have your grand operas like the dark phoenix saga and then you have your uh gritty horror which is the demon bear saga or the mutant massacre but i digress (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um i i think that it's a good idea but i'm also you know it remains to be seen now the mutants uh used to be put on a pedestal and that's for me and for a lot of people and though i'm speaking from personal experience you know a lot of people who i've even st- spoken with on this show on the carefree black or any number of my shows mutants were their entry point into comics be it from the tv show or for the books themselves so I just feel like they're not at the level that they used to be back in the day. And I don't know. I don't know. But give me your thoughts, guys. <laughs> Carefree Blurred on Twitter or leave a comment on the comments and SoundCloud on YouTube and everywhere else. Let me know. Let me know. Let me know. Now, uh, the other thing, though, with this same story, Hickman talking all this shit. This story, these stories better be good because if it comes back that this shit is trash, then it's like egg on your face. Like, you didn't talk to all this big bad shit. I mean, as you should, you know, you're controlling the X-Men. That's a very serious position to have. But, bruh, you talking about this is the definitive and this gonna be what it is and what it ain't. Well, I hope this shit is good. So I'm thinking that what I want to do is maybe uh, follow, follow his X-Men this, uh, what, is it July or fall or whatever? I want to follow his um, his stories and see if I enjoy them. Because one thing I'm a, I'm a big concern with with him and really anyone taking over these stories is X-Men, the mutants, are a diverse cast, are supposed to be. And I'm sick of it being Storm as the token black. And you, you write these stories that are civil rights adjacent, gay rights adjacent, and, you know immigrant adjacent but then the stories don't seem to reflect that the creative teams and this in the books themselves so i'm hoping that while doing this tell a good story but we can get some input from other folks because i i just i want to see storm written by a black woman or a a black person woman preferably um yeah but whatever i'll, I'll leave it there all in all things remain to be seen so we'll see <laughs> with that all right so um moving on next won't really dive too much into this but john wick 3 has gotten stellar reviews like my timeline has been blowing up about it even folks at work you know like oh this shit made me cry oh this is good this is that so i am excited to see it i will you know let y'all guys know full disclosure i've only seen one i have two 
um, on DVD, Blu-ray, and three is in theaters. So I plan on marathoning them all. But let me know what did you got you guys who have seen John Wick three. What are your thoughts? Like, give me non-spoiler thoughts. Like, don't ruin it for me. But let me know what did you think. What is your thoughts? Do you think that it's something that oh you gotta see this, or is it just like eh? Get around to it whenever you can. Um, let me know. Let me know. So moving on. So Marvel has this new book, The Future Foundation. In which the children who learn from and travel with the Fantastic Four will be getting their own series. Now, the Future Foundation was a series um, that was out a while ago when the Fantastic Four, before their descent into cataclysmic invisibility, I don't know, <laughs> before uh, we had that earth-shattering event where all of the, the multiverse and, and uh, battle world and all that good shit. Well, the new series for the Future Foundation... Uh, will be with Jeremy Whitley writing and Will Robinson with the art, which the art already issue number one, that shit looks impeccable. Like I'm, I'm excited. I was, I'm not really a big fantastic four fan, never have been. Um, but I am excited kind of to see what this new, I'm excited to take a look. Cause I'm not, like I said, I have I wasn't really into the fantastic four, nothing against them. And I know that that's Marvel's first family, but my entry point was the mutants. So the stories that were out about the fantastic four, they were, if they showed up in X-Men or generation X or whatever, then that was cool. But I didn't seek those out. Um, even now I'm not really too interested, but with the future foundation, I think that would be a good jumping on point. I'm hoping to see the, as like an entryway into the fantastic four. Now, I have read the first two issues of Fantastic Four proper from back in the 60s, and I, I plan on, not religiously, but kind of going through their entire publication history. I read the first two, so, you know, when I get some downtime, I'll read three and I'll read four and go for it and see if that maybe gives me a different appreciation for the first family, but... You know, I'm 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 not. Well, I hope this doesn't sound negative. I just don't really care about them either way. So, and uh, speaking of guys who are listening, if you are fans of Fantastic Four or you know some good stories, let me know what those are. Like, even though I do want to go through it chronologically, if there's certain runs or certain stories that I absolutely must read, that you're like, oh, this is the shit that's gonna get you into Fantastic Four. Let me know. You know what I'm saying? Tweet me, Carefree Blur. Leave the comment in the comments on SoundCloud, YouTube, wherever you're listening. Let me know. Um, but Twitter's the most immediate way. Yeah, because I'd like to. Uh, I like some earth-shattering revelations and some good-ass storytelling. Uh, let's see. So, the Future Foundation, for those of you who don't know, it is a philanthropic organization founded by Mr. Fantastic. This is in hopes of improving humanity's future. Uh, with the Fantastic Four now being back in Marvel, that was uh, sometime last year, is it's time for the Future Foundation to get revamped. Now, this issue or this run or first arc or whatever, the Future Foundation's mission is more personal than the world at large. Now, the Molecule Man, he used his powers to help save the multiverse during Secret Wars. Secret Wars was this whole big mess of a thing from way back in the day. This is back before I even moved down here to Texas. Like, this was some shit. I was like, what the hell? Um, now, he was killed during the richest family journey, uh, rebuilding the multiverse. Now, the Future Foundation, under the leadership of Alex and Julie Power, uh, time out, the Power, the Power Pack, another group that I was never introduced to, well, not never introduced to, I was, I, I didn't really know about until my adult years. Um, 
I wasn't too interested in finding out about them. Much like the Fantastic Four, it's not because I don't think it's a good book or a good collection of characters. They just weren't for me. They weren't marketed for me. I didn't see them in books that I was reading. But hearing people talk about them on different podcasts, reading stuff about them online, it seemed like a very interesting uh, book. And that's another series that I think I would like to get into. But with Julie, excuse me, and Alex Power being in this book, I think that's more the, the good place to start because you know, it's it's new. Um, now, and with a little help from the Guardian of the Galaxy, Yandu, um, oh, Yudana, Yudanta, yeah. Um, they're searching the multiverse for the Molecule Man uh, and his remains so that they can piece him back together. Now, this is the synopsis. When the richest family is called back to Earth to be the Fantastic Four again, they left behind the Future Foundation, a think tank of the most brilliant young minds in the universe, with one mission, find the pieces of and rebuild their friend Molecule Man. But that's proved harder than imagined, as this young crew of geniuses, Atlanteans, mutants, Moloids, and androids have run into every problem in the multiverse. Like, that's, that's not like a feel-good uh, YA uh, science fiction-y adventure. <laughs> so, I want to read it. Um, but, yeah, so Alex and Julie are leading them. They got Professor Yandu Udonta. <laughs> so going through their their most dangerous mission, which is a prison break. So I'm 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 interested. So key is in space, going to prison, break somebody out, putting their friend back together. That sounds good. My only concern with this and actually every book, because I don't know what it is about me that's not clicking. I get sick and tired of collecting books and series, thinking that they're going to be ongoing and they end up being miniseries or limited series. So I'm sitting here pissed off because i'm like i could have just bought the trade hell um but i hope if marvel you know what that's another story for another day marvel is quick to reboot rebrand and stop a damn series and but whatever now um oh robert pattison so uh the neighborhood uh friendly vampire of jacob cullen jacob um edward cullen lord uh, is in talks to be Batman. And this was, I think, Variety reported on this. Now, funny story. I opened up the story. I think I was on my way to work or pulled up to work. And so I was reading through it. And my initial reaction was like, ugh, him? No. But then I thought about it. I'm like, Patterson as Batman, like, he's he's brooding. He's young. Um, he has uh, history with franchises, both Harry Potter and Twilight. And I was like, well, this seems like a, a pretty good fit. Like, he's a young guy. More than likely, he's going to want to do this for a while. Because even though, regardless to your, your thoughts about DC versus Marvel and the DCU and MCU, it is still a comic book property that, just by nature of existing, is a storyboard of so many different stories. So, in turn, these will always be translated, be it animated, be it uh, episodic TV, or be it a larger film universe. So, it would make sense, especially with the success of the shows on the DC, um, DC Universe app, that if DC came to you and was like, hey, we want you as this role in this, you would want to do that. Batman has been a very interesting character over the last couple movies and years but to have the opportunity to become batman and make 
hopefully a definitive Batman for this generation like so many have done before. Like, why would he pass that up? And I think that he would be a good fit. Now, no sooner did I look at that story and post a few tweets about it, did motherfuckers go crazy. There, there was a petition signed, like, almost immediately to get him off of this role. And they were like, don't ruin this like you did with Batflag and this and that. And I'm still like, Ben Affleck didn't do a terrible job with Batman. Like, he looked good. Um, I have him as Daredevil and all his other characters from movies in the past that jaded the way I saw him. But when you take a step back and look at what he's presented with, like, he was, I mean, a pretty decent Batman. You know, he wasn't phenomenal, but also look at the DCEU versus the Batman movies from before. So I thought he was okay. That being said, folks was ripping Patterson to shreds. Now, there was um, a few people online who were like, I just don't like it. I'm tired of DC being broody and gloomy and this and that. Which, you know, I agree. That is something. Um, and they can't lighten things up. But I feel like, and this is just me personally, Robert is a decent enough actor that if DC does go the way of making it a more happy, sunshiny, friendly um, Batman or DC universe... I think he would be able to take direction and do that. But we won't know unless we give him a shot. <laughs> but, you know, to everyone's kind of credit, some people are emotionally invested in Batman, much like I am with certain mutants. So I get that. Also, Batman isn't my favorite character. He's not even my favorite DC character. Like, I don't... I like him. I like what Tom King is doing with him. And I... I but I'm really not a fan of him. Like... Well, no, let me, let me not say that. I'm not a fan to the degree that others are. So I can understand the hesitation. So I'm not here to say that anyone is wrong if you don't want Robert Pattinson to play Batman. That's, you know, that's all fine and good. But me personally, I'm just like, I'd like to see it, you know. Uh, and it may be my love for Twilight and that franchise that has me like, yeah, I'd like to see it. So, I mean, that's that. Let me know what y'all think. Like, do you think... Like, I saw Cole... I think it was Cole or it may have been Shogun Beats. It, someone, one of them, reposted from the Gummit Name Twitter account a picture of Patterson in the role. And he looked decent to me. He's a little pale. You know, I'm maybe a little bit too pale to play Bruce Wayne. But he's also in the Batcave and doing that Batman shit all the time. So why wouldn't he be a little pale? Um... Patterson, he had his hair kind of kind of slicked, had a nice little black turtleneck and overcoat. I thought he looked good, but you know, I'm not a Batman fan, so forgive me. This ain't my my fight, but uh, he got my vote. <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? If you um, let me know what you think about Patterson, I know I know how Sid Davis feels over there, <laughs> social introvert. He wasn't for it, but let me know who do you who would you want to cast to be the new Batman in the DCU, like. If we don't get Patterson, even if we do, what is your fan casting of Batman? Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who would be mine. Uh, but tweet me your answer, Carefree Blurred at uh, Twitter. Use the hashtag #ThePoolCBN or CBNPod. I'd like to know what some of your thoughts are. Okay. And in our final story, <laughs> um, I asked the question of the day over there on my Instagram, Carefree Black Nerd, with the new Batwoman series being not greenlit but coming soon <laughs> this fall to cw um, i asked if you guys folks in general uh were excited for ruby rose batman batwoman excuse me Woo! let me tell you some folks said yes most folks said no 
<laughs> um, first of all, shout out to Candace Denae over there at Black Mary Fly Podcast. Uh, she chimed in. She said she loves Ruby Rose. And so she loves to tune into a Carefree Black Nerd review of Batwoman. Because I said that, I was like, well, um, I feel in my bones, I feel another Carefree Black Nerd review coming up, maybe of Batwoman, you know what I'm saying? Since uh, Jay over there at Just Say Words podcast has dubbed me Mr. CW, because God, most of my shows that I review are CW based. But uh, Candace says she'd love to see it. I'm interested in seeing what's going on. John ain't a fan or ain't looking forward to. Um, to this Ruby Rose Batman, John from the John Effect podcast, pretty much, you know, his concern is she's not a woman of color, which I feel that 110%. Because, I mean, out of all of the characters that you have and out of all of the, why wouldn't she be a, a Afro-Latina or a Latina? Or like, you know, but whatever, it is what it is. And then shout out to Shane over there at Random Thoughts, a Random Things podcast, because uh, he said... <laughs> He gonna watch it, you know, the the CW Batwoman, but, you know, he ain't really checking for it. Which, I haven't got a whole lot of reviews past, you know, the questions that I pose. Um, but I wonder what people are thinking. Like, is it trash? Um, I didn't watch the crossover event where she was, Batwoman was introduced. I probably need to go back and do that. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, I, need, I probably need to go back and do that. But, um... With you OG Arrowverse viewers and watchers, is this something you're excited for? Just based off the trailer, because that's really all we have to go on. And they say don't drug a, don't judge a book by its cover. But I want you guys to judge the Arrowverse and Batwoman's introduction into it based off of that trailer. Like, does it seem... Like, is this something that you're excited for? Do you think it fits well with the overall shows in the Arrowverse? Black Lightning not included, because clearly that's not in the Arrowverse, but whatever um let me know let me know what you think leave a comment in the comments tweet me carefree blurred use that hashtag the pool cbn or cbn pod and um shit let me know and i'll be back i'm in here just stealing company time i'm in here just stealing company time i don't ever do shit at work i don't ever do shit at work but ride up and down these goddamn hours but ride up and down these goddamn hours i don't ever do shit at work and we're back now for the pool this episode we're going to do something a bit different um i spoke with a friend of the show also co-host of the show robert jeffrey uh over there and robertkjeffrey.com of course his links will be in the show notes but um he went to view what we left behind the deep space nine documentary and i had a bit uh, a little conversation with him and i want to put that in place of the pool this week uh because Deep Space Nine is something that is very kind of dear to me in more of a nostalgic way. Now, full transparency, I watched it as a kid. Uh, my mother loved the show. But my introduction into like diehard fandom was, of course, with Mutants and X-Men and things of that nature. With Deep Space Nine, because it happened when I was younger and it was what it was, it's something that, and I even mentioned it in this kind of discussion with him, is that it's something that's nostalgic to me. It's something that I do not remember, but I remember imagery. I remember stills of the show. I remember certain characters. And so when I think back on it, I can't give you any storylines. I can't give you anything, but I'm sure when I sit down and watch Deep Space Nine, things will come back to me. Um, yeah, so that being said, the pool will be replaced with with this 
uh, kind of discussions, borderline interview with him about the what we left behind. So um, I hope you guys enjoy and um, you know, let me know. All right, y'all. Um, yeah, we're back for the Deep Space Nine conversation with none other than a friend of the show, damn co uh, stakeholder in the show, uh, co host of a show, <laughs> Robert Jeffrey, the man with the master plan. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Not much. Um, just, I guess, ready to talk about Deep Space Nine. <laughs> bet, bet. I mean. I guess go for it. I I grew up with Star Trek, Star Wars, Star everything, but I am limited in my deep cut knowledge. I have a very surface level uh, remembrance of the show, the cast, and all that. So you you take it away, man. You you nerd out. I'm 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 here to listen to you. Yeah, this is gonna be like a five hour long talk now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, we um, yeah, recently, actually, this, this past Monday, I guess maybe the 15th, if I'm, no, the 13th, 13th, I'm doing the dates wrong, mm-hmm. um, there was a release of, um, there's one night release of a documentary about Star Trek Deep Space Nine called uh, What We Left Behind, Looking Back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And for me, I, it was kind of a must to go and see it because... I've always been, you know, a Trekkie going back to, you know, the the early late '80s, early '90s for the next generation. But Deep Space Nine is when that came out. That just became my favorite Star Trek show of all time. So, you know, when they announced a couple of years ago that they were doing an Indiegogo campaign to do a um, documentary about the about the TV series, I was really hyped. So apparently, it took like five years <laughs> for, the, for the documentary <laughs> to to come out and you know for one one night only they uh, I guess did a Fathom event mm. uh, screening at um, theaters all across the, the country and I maybe across the world but I think just across the country so you know I just went I went to go see the documentary um, you know and it's it was good it was, it was really 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 good um, East Space Nine has always been one of the and it seems like this happens with all the Star Trek shows. Like when they first come out, people are just like, "It's not Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always it's not Star Trek. It won't live up to the ideals of, you know, the early, you know, the '60s era TV show with Kirk, McCoy, and Spock." But you know, Deep Space Nine seemed to get it much, much more because it was set on a space station. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't tracking. They weren't <laughs> going around the universe. Um, discovering new lives and new civilizations and going boldly where no man has gone before. But if, if you watch the series, um, I think that the series actually spoke to what the creator of uh, Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, wanted to achieve with the concept as a whole. It showed the, you know, the foibles of humanity, of, you know, social issues, mm-hmm. of race, of I don't know if he was going for sexuality or religion mm-hmm. or politics and you know, just how complicated and how murky that can get. And one of the things that the documentary did a good job of highlighting was when they first came out, everybody just crapped on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody just yeah. crapped on the show and you know, said they're not going into space. You know, I don't like any of these characters. Uh, one of the things I love about the show is that the characters came first and then the stories 
you know, pretty much surrounded them. So it wasn't, you know, as like, you know, next generation, they would go, you know, see an alien species for the week and then they would go mm-hmm. somewhere else, which is not a problem. But with Deep Space Nine, they dug a little bit deeper. You know, like I said, speaking about issues of race, uh, homelessness, uh, PTSD, um, you know, just a bunch of different topics. And the, the documentary did a really good job of just highlighting the significance of the TV series for, you know, the Star Trek franchise, but also just for sci-fi as a whole. And for being one of the few shows that was serialized, you know, like we love Game of Thrones, we love um, Breaking Bad, we wish that any show that you watch right now is serialized, it's not episodic. Mm -hmm. Space Nine was one of the first shows and not the first show, that first show that did that. So if you missed a week, you were going to SOL in certain cases. Um, But it's, and the, the amount of writers and directors and showrunners that came from that show um, were huge. Like, if you love Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. that's because Deep Space Nine gave you Ronald Moore, which was, he's a showrunner of Battlestar Galactica, but he was one of the writers. And so, the, you know, it did a really good job of just touching you know, on a lot of different, you know, things. And as a Star Trek fan, I, I loved it, you know, because, I, like I said, that series doesn't get as much shine time as I, as I feel it does. And it also had a part where they talked about black men, you know, black fathers relationships mm-hmm. with sons and then also Black Lives Matter and you know, it just I was just like, wow. So it was it was a really good documentary. Yeah. Okay. And so how how long was it? That that's what I wanna know. Uh that was the documentary is probably it was like an hour and you know, forty five minutes I think. It was close to two hours. Okay, okay. So, you know, I started at seven and I don't think I got a theater until nine because one of the cool things was was after the screening mm-hmm. and this might be like a DVD or Blu ray extra, but after the actual film there was a round table discussion oh. with the, with uh, two of the directors and um three other I think two other producers and one other editors and one of the big things that they talked about was why it took so long for the documentary to come out from the time of the Indiegogo campaign to now and one of the big reasons was is that they wanted to update uh, footage from the show Mm -hmm. with the with uh, to HD quality oh okay yeah the process of them having to go to CBS and Paramount to get that footage from the original film stock was just very painstaking but at the end of the day when you look at because I, I, I'm watching Deep Space Nine on Netflix right now mm-hmm. so when you look at the original footage that was shot in the 90s versus the HD quality I'm just it, it looks very it looks nice so okay. you know, there was one sequence where it was a big space battle from the Dominion War uh, which takes place in the, the last season the last couple of seasons and it's like a star Star Trek esque, Star Wars esque, like dogfight battle with just Federation ships and Cleons and Dominion. I'm like, now I'm nerding out, but they <laughs> specifically put that up there so that you could see, you know, the hard work that they put into updating these, um, you know, the footage. And it, it was, and it was really nice. So that's what the last, you know, probably 10 to 15 minutes of mm. the uh, documentary was. But yeah, it's uh, but overall it was like two hours. Okay, okay, so. that ain't bad. So did it did it give you as a fan some type of closure or some type of inside knowledge that you didn't know? Did it help like any fan theories out or 
what did it do for you outside of you know being a good production as a fan yeah. of yeah yeah I mean if anything it gave me it reaffirmed my appreciation of the show um, and I think it was very informative for people who don't you know who probably don't know too much about you know the the series mm-hmm. because whenever somebody talks about Star Trek it's always you know the classic you know STO mm-hmm. you know, Star Trek original series or Star Trek the Next Generation um, and those are the two that are always at the forefront and then after that it's New Space Nine Voyager Enterprise and now Discovery yeah. um, but anything with the you know with the name Enterprise <laughs> are the ones that come <laughs> forward from first so mm-hmm. you know getting you know, getting kind of this appreciation for the show reinforces really good. The other, I guess, new information that we got out of it was um, Iris Stephen Bear, who actually has a connection to the 4400. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. Because he's a, he's a executive producer of the 4400. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the showrunner of Deep Space Nine, so what he did uh, with directing this documentary, a co-directing, they brought together five writers from the Deep Space Nine writers room from back in Day, mm-hmm. And they put together a mock um, season eight. Oh, okay. so what? Yeah, what would have ha- happened? And they they basically plotted out the first episode, and we got to see that brought to life through like like anima- animation mm-hmm. stills and them talking about it. So that was that was pretty cool. You know, that actually got me hyped to the point where I was just like, wow, I wish they could actually do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got a lot of you know interviews with the cast. You know, talking about their personal experiences of what it was like to be on a show like this, mm-hmm. which was under constant threat of, you know, censorship by the studios for the stuff that they were doing, for the, you know, chances they were taking, and also the flack that they kept getting from fans. One of the things that they did in the documentary was they had the cast members read actual pieces of mail. You know, because people used to actually send mail back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they, um, where they were just shitting on the show. Oh, shit. And, yeah, and it was crazy because, like, you know, the actors, they were laughing it off. And in some cases, you could tell that they were like, oh, okay, this is how some people felt about the series. But, so it just, it goes to show that they were catching it from both ends. So that was, that was actually kind of eye-opening that, you know, they had to fight the studios in certain cases to get what they wanted, you know, to be progressive and to tell these awesome stories. But on the other end, they were still catching it from a large contingent of fans because it wasn't the trek that they were used to. It was much more dirty. It was much more grimy as much. It was real, you know, and that's, <sighs> that's what I appreciate about it. But yeah, that's, you know, those are a couple of things that, you know, I didn't know you know, that were brought forth, so. Yeah, that's so sad, man, this toxic yeah. fandom, like, because I think I used to watch this show as a kid, and I may not remember the storylines really much about the show, but if I see any character or any steal from any episode, I would recognize it, and to think that I'm this little kid watching this show that's like a big deal to so many people, not understanding that other side of it. And I'm like, man, what's it? It's like Twitter, <laughs> but yeah. but amplified through letters and not through tweets. Like, oh, that's so unfortunate, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's like you don't know what you got till it's gone because you know, looking at what they're doing with this, you look at something like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that's 
that's the closest thing, like sci-fi related. That or the Expanse, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. is probably the best example because you know that was a TV show that was created during uh, post 9/11. Okay. So they were dealing with issues of you know terrorism or of the other or religious fanaticism. Um, you know, racism, mm-hmm. and, but these were all things that D Space Nine had already tackled. Mm. You know, so it's just like it's sometimes it gets frustrating. You know, to and I think it's it's frustrating that people don't realize the significance of the show kind of held. You know, you don't know what you like. Say you don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. now, because of things like Hulu and Twitter, not Twitter, um, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And CBS All Access, yeah. you know, you can binge the series and just kind of, and it's given you know rise to a new generation of fans. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, for me, I, I just saw it as another Star Trek show, and yeah. I, I just remember the first episode where I knew it was going to be different because Cisco was treating Picard like he was like he was a punk. But you knew what the justification for that was like yeah. his wife died in the hands of Locutus of uh, when when Picard had been turned into Locutus by the board. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... So, but to have a captain outright just, you know, say, like, you know, I'm not really feeling this dude. You know, that was that was different. So I knew that that was going to be... Even as a kid, when I was watching, I was like, okay, this is going to be different. So and as I got older, I appreciated it. But that's, you know, that's what... That's a part of one of the many things that the documentary kind of focuses on. So... Mm. You know, I just I, I enjoyed it, and to kind of be in the theater, surrounded by other, you know, Star Trek fans with, with our free posters and all that, um, was really cool. the The other part of the season eight, um, you know, fictional season that they did was one of the ships that they introduced was named the USS Emmett Till. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, and I'm going to give a little shout out to BlackSciFi.com because when when they announced it a few months back that you know this was the ship was going to be introduced in this fictional you know season eight that they were doing or like this what if, mm-hmm. um, I immediately reached out to the I guess the production team or the producers and asked if they would be open to doing even like an email interview, which is what happened, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was fortunate enough to get an interview with um, the, one of the producers. His name is Kai. I cannot remember his last name uh, off the top of my head. But and also Ira Stephen Bear, the, oh, um, yeah. the, the the co-director, and then he was a showrunner of the Space Nine. So I specifically just asked him about the Emmett Till, you know, and we talked a little bit about, about the movie. But you know, he Ira Mr. Bear understood the significance of. Emmett Till, you know, he knew, he knows, he, he, he knows the story, he, and as with, as Star Trek, and not, and not saying that Star Trek has always been perfect mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, focusing on issues of race, and, um, but with, specifically with this, he was just like, you know, this is, in terms of the social consciousness that, you know, Till's murder you know, gave birth to. I mean, mm-hmm. gave birth to the civil rights movement. He was just like, "Why not? Why wouldn't we name a ship after him?" Yeah. Oh my. That's that's yeah. So I I'll send you the link to that. But it was one of our most heavily trafficked interviews that we did on the page. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, and that was actually one of my favorite ones that I, I've had a chance to write, mm-hmm. be a part of. But um, yeah, but this was a few months before the movie came out because I don't, I don't think like all of the Trek websites realized what the significance was. But as far as mm-hmm. I'm a black sci-fi fan, mm-hmm. and, I, and I haven't had a history of knowing who Emmett Till. I mean, from being from Chicago, right, right. And even if you aren't from Chicago, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know that story. Um, that's I was like, I, I have no choice but not to, <laughs> but to you know, right, not right. To so yeah, so they, so they. And I and I have the poster of the USS Emmett Till, so that's about to go into a fright. <laughs> so, that, uh, so yeah, so like on a in a variety of fronts, I mean, it just you know, it just I, the documentary just was was perfect, was awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. God, man, I am glad to hear that, especially considering yeah. that once upon a time they never saw us black people in space in future, yep. be it apocalyptic or or. Utopia or dystopian, and we just weren't around. So <laughs> to have a whole ship named after Emmett Till is like, ah, that's that's stepping into uncharted waters, really. Exactly. Man, exactly. Golly, who said now you got me mad? I didn't go see it for my deals. Well, I think they said it's going to be released on you know Blu-ray and DVD sometime in August. Okay. Uh, but I, I I hope that they also find a way to release it on streaming, you know, for people to, who else who might have Hulu yeah. or Netflix or even Amazon Prime, you know, um, even it, getting a theatrical release was pretty awesome because I think that it was, you know, the original plan was like Blu-ray, DVD, but as they saw that there was an interest mm-hmm. in people seeing this, they were just like, yeah, let's just do, you know, the Fathom, and I don't know if you've ever done a Fathom event, like mm-hmm. this is my first time doing mm-hmm. that where they... They might re-release an older movie, yeah. like Saving Private Ryan was something, or any of the um, Miyazaki, you know, anime movies, like yeah. Studio Ghibli. Um, they're just like special event event films, mm-hmm. and this was one of those. So I was I was really happy to see that um, Fathom and I think Shout Factory, who's handling the distribution, decided to do it for this one night. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was I was happy. You know, because I, I don't think I've had any Trek on film since, like, the last uh, big budget, you know, the the J.J. Abrams yeah. first movie. Yeah, It was Into Darkness? No, not Into Darkness. Um, okay, never mind. The last Star Trek movie with uh, Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It wasn't uh, Gamora that, in there, too? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, she's, yeah, she was still, she's, um... Uh, Uhura. Yeah, Uhura. right. Good oh, Lord. Mm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So. Mm, 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 mm. But yeah, yeah. So if I, you know, out of five out of five, I mean, I would give it that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, shit, we gonna have to be on the lookout for that because this coming August. Because I would really mm-hmm. like to uh, to see it, hell, yeah, if at all possible. Because yeah. shit. Oh, I probably remember more than I think I do once I either see this documentary or at the very least watch some show, some episodes. So I'm thinking I might have to try to reconnect with Deep Space Nine my damn self and see what I can come up with. Damn. Okay, yeah. I mean, we could get a whole show out of like the best of. Look, yeah. honestly, that shit, that go right along with the 4400 <laughs> shit. Man, okay. Um... I mean, shit. Is there anything else you, you you took from the film, or anything? Any uh, I don't know, spoilers or 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 good shit you want to give to the audience from the Deep Space Nine? Yeah, I mean, I, 
just just go back and watch it. You know, just go back and watch it. I always say, as with any Trek series, the first couple seasons are, you know, they're cool. You know, they're you know some episodes are, yeah, you know, yeah. But um, once they hit season three onto seven, it, it just you know you could tell that they got their big boy pants on, mm-hmm. and it and if you um for you know looking for science fiction that makes you think and you know just appreciate what that genre can do when you know telling stories about the human condition um it's 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 something that needs it you should watch it you know great characters great storylines um special effects are you know pretty decent they may seem kind of dated but i think it's um to me, it's the best Trek series that's ever been made. Mm, mm. Okay, well, shit, you can't get a yes. better recommendation than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you got on Netflix, queue it up. <laughs> right, right. Who yeah. shit? Okay, well, yeah, I, I, I might have to go on over and, and, and select that as well. Um, shit. Okay, uh, let the folks know where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can uh, get more of your 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 nerdiness and your your ed, your, uh, your history with the with the Deep Space Nine. <laughs> You can um, you can find me at my website Robert K Jeffrey that's J E F F R U Y dot com and the article that I you know well, the interview that I did with the Space Nine documentary uh, team just go to blackside-fi.com dot com and do a search for Deep Space Nine and then you you should be able to pull up the article there but those are those are the two places where you can you know, find me in my love of Trek. Okay, okay, good deal. And all that information will be in the show notes. Um, I probably will have the link as well. Um, yeah, and, and folks, tweet tweet this man. Hit him up and let him know what your thoughts are about the article, what your thoughts are about this conversation here. And also, if you're some, some Trekkies or some Trekkers, yeah, I hope I'm saying that right, <laughs> hit him up and let him know what you're thinking, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on and having this Deep Space Nine conversation with me. Um, y'all check out 4400 uh, A Light in the Sky that's uh, the review that me and Mr. Jeffries is uh, giving to you every week coming up and um, yeah yeah that's it live, live long and prosper <laughs> yes live long and prosper, long and prosper. <laughs> uh, I started to think about the title of this final episode which is what you leave behind And I started to think, what have we left behind? We've wanted to make a Star Trek show that would satisfy a Star Trek audience, but different. We had this big black captain in your face. America, come and look at me, and I'm running your show, and this is the face of it. One of the things that attracted me about the Star Trek was that I would be human, completely human, and brown, too. See? It was dark and dirty, and the characters didn't all get along. Nothing was black and white. She was a terrorist. The show spoke about nuances of war that people don't know. It was something totally different in the world of Star Trek. If people aren't bothered by it or don't like it, you're doing something wrong. With all due respect, Deep Space Nine is not really Star Trek. It's not true. We did wonderful painful work it was often very painful to do it pissed us off i did feel like alice in wonderland being dropped into this amazing world 
I never felt appreciated on the show. <laughs> I think there was a serious intent about the work, perhaps a more serious intent. Oh, well, I didn't know that because it seemed very funny to me. That anger is mine! You can't have it! I don't think that ever happened. Don't dismiss me. Talk to me. Only the people involved know the facts. No, this is Rashomon. It's Rashomon. We have no you know, idea. Everybody I'm has so a glad I asked this question. Next. We're in Vegas right now with a ton of people downstairs. They love this show. It just took them 20 years to get here. It went where no one has gone before. It pursued the journey inside, not the journey out. I wish I could go back and relive that just one more time. It was like a family on the show, you know? It was like a family on the show. That seven years changed my life. That's very emotional, you know? Huh. Guess what? This is Deep Space Nine. Don't get too comfortable. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the pool this week. Um, like I said, I didn't really go over any comics, but um, that Alexandria Acosta-Cortez and the Freshman Force book was pretty interesting. I really enjoyed that. Um, there was the Guardians of the Galaxy number one. was also part of my pool. Um, dope artwork. Uh, oh, the Alexandria... Um, a, a Casio Cortez book. Oh, Jesus Christ. I should have pulled this up. Eh, 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 eh. It is uh, the creative team. My apologies. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Donnie Coates, Jeff Shaw, Marte Garcia. And then Planet of the Nerds, issues one and two. Pick those up. Um, yeah, so it was it, it was a, a good week, a good week for comics. Um, I also picked up the Freeze issues one and two. Now I'm not entirely sure. This is from Image Comics. I don't know what the hell is going on, but this is a interesting looking book. So I'll I'll report on that soon. Hell, uh, now coming out this week, we have a few books. Uh, let's see. Uh, Antarctic Press, Mobsters Graveyard, number four, Aspen Comics, Fathum, volume two, number one. Fathum was a very, 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 very interesting household staple for me as a kid. Uh, what else? Boom Studios, uh, let me see. Black Badge, volume one, hardcover is coming out. Faithless, number two, uh, that's out. What else? Danger Zone. Uh, Vamp Blade Season 4 Number 1 We got Dark Horse Comics Invisible Kingdom Number 3 DC Comics Dow H for Hero Number 3 That's a book that I want to get into But I, I I just haven't Not that I can't But I see it on the shelves I'm like oh, I should pick that up But I just I don't I don't know why uh, Justice League Dark Number 11 uh, Martian Manhunter Number 5 I think that's 5 of 12 yeah, I think that's a maxi series. Wonder Woman number seventy one. Uh, what else? What else? Do, 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 do. IDW. We have Clue Candlestick number one, which I started reading. Clue. I don't know why the hell I fell off. Oh, um, Sonic the Hedgehog number seventeen. With all that shit going on about the animation in Sonic, like <laughs> I wonder if the books are gonna sell like more or yeah, whatever. Um, let's see. Star Trek, The Q Conflict, number four. Image Comics, Ascender, number one. Assassination, number three. That's another book that's very interesting. I haven't read it, but I've been getting the reviews from different podcasts and different blogs. And it seems to be a very interesting kind of goofy, dark comedy. 
Um, let me see. East of West, Volume 9, Trade Paperback. Eh, e, Lion Forge, Catalyst Prime, Summit, Volume 3. Uh, True for Consequences, that Trade Paperback. Uh, and, and then a, a bunch of shit, a bunch of shit. So, <laughs> that being said, thank you guys again so much for listening to me rant and rave and ramble and all that about comics news and all that good stuff. Special shout out to Robert Jeffrey for coming on and discussing that uh, Deep Space Nine documentary with me. And to you all listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course, you can tweet me, Carefree Blur. That's the most immediate way to get in touch with me. Use that hashtag CBNPod or the pool CBN or hop into the DMs, I guess. Um, also on the other social media sites, it is Carefree Black Nerd. Check me out on BYNKRadio.net. That is the home base for the BYNK Radio fam. Uh, check out the other shows in the Carefree Black Nerd feed. Tune in on your closest neighboring uh, podcast platform. <laughs> Make sure to go into that Apple podcast and leave me those five-star uh, ratings and review. Let me know. How'd you get here? What was your favorite show? Uh, what'd you think about this show? Write it, and I'll read it on the show, um, as I stated before. you know. And, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. So, until next time. I want you guys to stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and I'm out. <laughs>